Isn't it exciting to be a part of a church planting movement? We are a church plant from the main harvest, and I had the joy of going there to Romania this past summer and seeing Harvest Arad. And uh, listen, if you give uh, to Harvest Palace, we donate 10% of our offerings a year to missions and church planting, and we gave an additional $10,000 to build that training center in Harvest Arad this year so that church planters can be sent all over Eastern Europe. So praise the Lord that he's building his church and that we get the honor of being a part of that. We began a new series just a few weeks ago. We're learning how to share our faith with others because we're all admitting we need to work on it, right? Like, that'd be a great spot for an amen. Do you need to work on sharing your faith with others? Because if you feel like you've already got an A+, feel free to leave. Go watch the pregame show before the Bears get slaughtered, all right? Just go ahead, leave, and we're all proud of you for learning, for acing how to share your faith. But the rest of us, we got some figuring out to do. We don't know how to talk to people. And um, today we start a two-week section talking about origin, creation. Do you feel ready to talk to other people about the beginning of everything? If the topic came up with someone who disagreed with you, if in a class you had the chance to raise your hand and say, here's what I believe about the beginning, do you feel confident that you could share the Christian view And if someone pushed back and said, oh yeah, well, what about where the dinosaurs come from? How old is the earth? Tell me about evolution. How do you explain the Big Bang? Like, are you ready for that? Because honestly, I feel intimidated when that topic comes up. So here's what we're going to do together. We're going to spend today learning what we believe. What is the Christian view? What makes it unique compared to other views? And uh, then next week, we're going to learn how to defend our view to someone who believes something else. So uh, a few caveats for today. First of all, uh, I'm sharing all this humbly. I don't pretend to know a fraction of all the mysteries of what went into the generation of the cosmos. So if you think I got it all figured out, I could, I could preach a whole sermon today on the things I don't know yet. That just wouldn't be as interesting or helpful. Wow, my pastor doesn't know a whole lot about the beginning. All right? I'm just saying that because I want you to know how overwhelmed I feel by it all. Next caveat, this sermon today is for Christians. So I'll be talking to Christians about what we believe. If you are still sorting through the information, maybe you don't even agree with our view. Maybe you're still trying to figure out what you think about the science of it all. You know, come next week. Next week, I'm going to talk a whole lot about objections to our view. In fact, I give you permission to email me this week and say, hey, Ryan, I'd love for you to cover these objections next week because I've got questions, all right? But today, you're going to hear me talking to Christians, and I'm not going to spend a ton of time on like, well, well, what, you know, prove it, prove it. That's, that's next week. Another caveat, the view that I'm presenting today isn't necessarily the view that every Christian agrees with. So I'm going to lay out what's called the classical literal six-day interpretation of the book of Genesis, meaning assuming that even though God didn't tell us everything about how he did it, generally speaking, he told us about creation in a way that resembled how he did it. So we're going to, I'm going to assume today that, you know, it was literally six days and he really did it generally the way that he laid it out. There are other views. You might be a Christian in this room and you might hold to a different interpretation of Genesis that's fine. We're going to cover some of that next week. I don't want you to feel like, well, there's three other ways that you can interpret that verse and Pastor Ryan didn't even cover them. Next week. All right? Next week. This week I'm just laying out one view. Um, my last caveat is this. 
um, I am hoping to display that Genesis is not primarily about the physical creation of the universe. It does tell us some things about how God physically made the universe, but God really wants us to understand from Genesis the spiritual realities of the universe. He wants us to know Him. So it's not enough to pull out all of our textbooks and check His science and check the math. It's more than that. We have to make sure we don't get all locked up with the physical side of it and miss the spiritual truths He's trying to teach us about Himself because the way He created the universe was intended to introduce us to himself. That's why he didn't, did it one way and not another. All right, so now all those caveats aside, let's pray, and then we're all going to be super overwhelmed together as we talk about the beginning of the universe. Let's pray. Father, we believe that you are the creator, but we can comprehend so little about how you did it. Show us in Genesis today what you want us to know about the beginning, show us what you want us to know about yourself. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Okay, open up to Genesis chapter 1, and you can also open up to Colossians chapter 1. We will be there just for a moment. Colossians, and then we'll go back to Genesis. As you open up your Bible, understand that the Christian view is unique compared to every other religion. Our thing is different than every other thing. So if our thing is true, the others are false. If the others are true, ours is false. They exclude each other because they make unique claims. You can't just say every religion teaches basically the same thing. That's false. They all have unique views about the origin of the universe. So what do Christians believe? Well, you can write this down in your bulletin. In one sentence, I would say this. We believe the Father created everything from nothing to the glory of His Son. That's our view. We believe the Father created everything from nothing to the glory of His Son. How important is it that we mention God's Son in that that's our thing? That's what makes us unique. If you take out Jesus from creation, we, we could easily just follow Judaism or even, even Islam because they have similar creation stories to ours. Jesus is not a footnote to our beginning. Jesus, the Bible says, is the beginning. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, or 16, it says, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the beginning. Jesus is central to creation. Jesus is supreme over creation. If you've ever heard someone say, you know, well, the Bible never claimed that Jesus was God. Long after Jesus lived, his followers made that up, you know, like in the three, four, five hundreds. No, in the Bible, it clearly says that Jesus created everything. And it was created by him and it was created for him. Our view is unique. We believe the Father created everything from nothing to the glory of his Son. Therefore, this world is not a banquet in your honor. You are not born into a world that is here for you. You exist for the glory and honor of another. You exist to bring praise and honor to another being. That goes along with our view of origin, right from the beginning. All right, 
So check out the book of Genesis now, chapter 1, verse 1. And let's talk through the creation story. Uh, I'm not planning on preaching this as if I was going through the book of Genesis. I don't want you to understand everything that you need to know about Genesis 1. I'm picking information from it that I feel you need to share your faith with others. All right? So this is a little bit of an unusual sermon. But in Genesis 1, 1, it says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That first verse is so full of so many things. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If I had to list the four hills we would die on, things that you, you have to share with another person for them to understand our view. Uh, the first one I would say is this. We believe in a divine creator. You can jot that down. We believe there is a divine being, not a force, not a chemical, a being, a divine being who made everything, and his name is God. We begin to see in Genesis 1 that this God made the beginning, and he made everything that came from the beginning. This is profound. This sets our view apart. It says here that this divine creator in verse 2, the earth was without form and void, darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Already in verse 2, you have the mystery of the Trinity starting to come to light. Now, did God put that there just to make us, just to puzzle us for the rest of time? (laughs) Figure that one out. (laughs) No. Why is God right by the earth? Why is he so close that his spirit is hovering right over this planet? He could be leading angels on a tour of the Crab Nebula. And then I did this. Check it out. How beautiful is this? Moving on to the next sight to see. The location of God shows his loving affection and his watch care over this one place. He's showing us that the earth would be the center of the universe to his heart. This is where he's at. This is the point from which he created everything. We learn something about this divine creator. Um, We learn that this divine being has to be eternal. Because if everything had a beginning, if everything was caused by something outside of it, this being had to be outside of time and space and matter itself. This is really crucial because a lot of gods and other religions don't meet the criteria of being capable of generating this universe. In many other religions, the gods are subject to matter and energy. They can't control it all. If there is a divine being who can bring this universe into existence, he must exist outside of time. Because everything in this universe started at a point in time. I'm not the only one who says that. Stephen Hawking says that. Once they figured out the universe was expanding, then they figured out it had to all start from a point. That point is called a singularity according to their theories, and it's the point at which all matter and time and space collapses down on itself, so that all you have at the beginning is this this microscopic dot that is filled with infinite heat and matter and density and space, and that thing can't create itself. So there's no time yet. There's nothing to begin the first watch from ticking. Therefore, if there's a being who is going to bring all of this into existence, he has to, by nature, exist outside of time, outside of space, outside of matter. And I'm glad to report that our God meets that criteria. He's eternal. He also has to be almighty, because when you have all time and space and matter compact down to one 
tiny, um, infinite singularity. It doesn't have the power on its own to do anything. It can't be like, I am through with this. There has to be a greater force. Listen, there has to be a greater force than all the power in the universe to even start it. There has to be an eternal force to create it. There has to be a powerful force to start it from expanding. Therefore, the God that did this has to be almighty. He has to have the sovereign power to control all energy and all matter. I'm thankful to report the God of the Bible meets that description. He also has to be omniscient. The Big Bang, even though science can track back to very early on in the formation of the universe, what they find is not this random chaotic explosion that's senseless and mindless and lawless. They find that the Big Bang was a smart bomb which means it was a controlled explosion. It exploded in a way when it could have exploded in a billion other ways. It exploded in a way that didn't instantly incinerate every possible form of particle. It was a controlled explosion. Therefore, it reflects, the Big Bang itself reflects that there was an intelligence behind the explosion. The explosion itself produced orderly forces and constants in the universe that would govern all matter and energy. These constants were instantly applied to seemingly infinite and expanding fabric of space. Therefore, it's not like people can say, well, yeah, there was an explosion, but then, you know, we had a few billion years to figure out the laws that got... No, 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 they were there. And they couldn't have been there on their own. Something was imposing structure from the start. We believe that that reflects the intelligence, the omniscience of the being who made the universe. So we believe in a divine creator. Second hill we would die on is this. There was a beginning. We believe there was a beginning. To you, you might be like, duh. But it actually wasn't until the 1920s that the brightest scientific minds caught up to what the Bible says and agreed that the universe had a beginning. Uh, Since Aristotle's day, the prevailing view was that the universe was eternal, that time and space and matter had just always been around. Different theories of how... But the brightest minds, Einstein included, Hubble included, Hoyle included, they all believed the universe had all been around. And then Hubble was looking up into space and he's like, you know what, everything's redder than it's supposed to be, which leads me to believe it's expanding. And he started going around and telling everyone his kooky theory that the universe was expanding. And they didn't believe him. Einstein called it irritating. Then finally they had to agree that their math showed them that the universe is going like this, which means it had to start at a point in time. That was the 1920s. When they finally agreed, yeah, the universe has a beginning, all the theologians were like, bravo, we've been preaching that for thousands of years. All right? We would say there is a beginning. There are some scientists out there today who are trying to prove that there wasn't necessarily a beginning, it's eternal, or there was some sort of other universe, but the point is this universe had a beginning. We also would say that the beginning of this universe is supernatural, not natural. Meaning the definition of everything collapsing upon itself and not being able to bring itself into existence is categorically what started this universe has to be something outside of everything we know to be true about it. This universe can't pull itself out of a magic hat. There has to be some higher explanation that's not matter, not space, not time, not energy. We would call that God. But whatever people say it is, you can't just say, I don't believe God did it. You're on the hook now. Tell us what this non-material, lacking energy, lacking space, lacking time, what is this first cause? You are responsible to come up with a cause. It's not enough to say God didn't do it. So we believe there was a supernatural beginning 
That's a hill we would die on. Third, we believe in a literal Eden, Adam, and Eve. You can write that down. Um, We believe in a literal Eden, Adam, and Eve. We'll go into this a little more next week, but here at Harvest, uh, because Christians don't all agree on this, but we, we don't believe God adopted a Neolithic farmer at some point in the evolutionary growth chain. We don't think that he came down and found a hominid that was kind of getting to the point where he was morally aware and then promoted him to like human status. We think that that's so foreign to the Bible that it's just not biblical. And um, what we would say is that while there are some Christians who would think that at our church, we disagree with that and we think that's wrong. And so if you're here, fine, if you, if you believe that, you just have to know you're in a church where we would tell you we think you're wrong, you're biblically wrong, okay? And um, we think that God made man directly to be a conscious, mature, and morally accountable being on day one. We also think that our theology in this book unravels without a literal Adam as being the first human on the planet. We lose a lot. It, it, the Bible is disfigured without Adam. It doesn't look the same. It distorts our view of sin, man, God, Scripture, and Jesus. So we're not willing to say, well, based on what some people observe in the fossil record, we can't have a literal Adam. We're not willing to make that leap. We think the Bible says there was a literal Adam, and we take the Bible uh, at his word. So we believe in a literal Eden, Adam and Eve. Um, Whatever else you as a Christian believe about the formation of the universe and the ordering of the universe, I would just say that you can't get around a literal Adam in the Bible without letting go of the Bible. Whatever else you believe about how long God took or whatever, you have to get to the point as a Christian where there is a literal Adam in a garden with Eve in Eden or you lose your faith. That's the bottom line. So we believe in a literal Eden, Adam and Eve. And then the fourth major hill we would die on is we believe in a mature creation. A mature creation. Um, What do I mean by that? I mean God from the beginning was not bound by the laws of reproduction that we see in effect today. God was not bound from the beginning by a process of mutation as if the moment after he created everything, he was instantly handcuffed by all of the laws we see in effect today. Uh, We believe God acted as ruler of the rules from the first moment. We believe that he supernaturally formed and filled the universe. Here's what I would say, though. While we believe that God acted freely and sovereignly to create a mature creation, I'm not saying our view is superstitious or mythical. All right? This book, Genesis, was written to the Israelites through Moses right after they were led out of Egypt. In Egypt, they learned a lot of spiritual truths that were wrong. They were polytheistic. They worshipped the stars. They worshipped the sun. They, they heard a lot of myths about how the universe came into existence. One example of those myths that they would have heard is there was this one god who, who killed this sea goddess and dragged her corpse out and then broke her, broke her body in half. And out of one half of this god, he made the earth. And out of the other half, he made the sky. Now, that's very different from what I'm saying is supernatural. That's superstitious and that's mythical. Making the earth out of a dead God's body is superstitious and mythical, okay? When I say we believe that God acted supernaturally, I mean there was matter and there was order and there were particles, but God was imposing his will on the energy and the matter in a way that's consistent with their capabilities, all right? 
He's imposing his will on matter and energy, which means that matter and energy is not imposing its will on God. God is acting freely and sovereignly over all of creation. Because of that, we think that God decided that he wanted to engineer a mature universe. He wanted to make the chicken before the egg. He wanted to make the tree before the fruit. He wanted to make the man before the child. He wanted to make the light before the sun. He wanted to make a universe that was mature. I remember when uh, George Lucas was interviewed about Star Wars, they asked him, you know, how come so many things in the first Star Wars movie look dumpy and trashy? Everything in the future is supposed to be squeaky clean. And and he's like, we wanted the universe to be a lived-in universe. And God basically said the same thing. He wanted to create a mature universe. God decided to create creators. He made things that could instantly make life. He made things that could instantly make light. And if he fits the description of the Christian God found in the Bible, I just want you to know he's free to do that. It's not like there was an angel with a physics textbook right there after the Big Bang, like, you, you can't do that. You're breaking the rules of mathematics. Like, he was acting freely. And there's, I would just challenge you as a Christian, there's no reason for you to look back at the beginning and try and erase everything supernatural about the start. And I'll argue next week that if you do that and you take all supernatural out of the beginning, you don't have a beginning. And you don't have anything. Because this world can't pull itself out of a magic hat. You need the supernatural. All right, so those are our four convictions, the hills we would die on. Uh, If you just said this to someone, hey, listen, here's what Christians believe. The Father created everything from nothing to the glory of His Son. There's a divine creator, a beginning, a literal Eden, Adam and Eve, and God made the universe mature. In a nutshell, that's it. That's our view. That's what we defend. There's a lot more to it that we'll go into next week. There's a lot more variation, but for now, that's the view. All right, now, how did he do it? Let's talk through the story of creation so that you know basically, generally, how God did it. I'm assuming a plain, literal reading of the text, and I'm also assuming that this is generally how God accomplished it. I'm not going to seek to justify it or you know, answer doubts or other views. That's all next week. So let's just go through it and see how God did it. It says this in verse 3. Uh, well, by, by the way, verse 2, it says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. There's this pause where there's nothing but darkness and nothing and black earth and God. And that's his way of saying, imagine you without me. That's his way of saying, Imagine your universe without me. Now I'm going to get started. In verse 3, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good. God separated the light from the darkness. He called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was evening, there was morning the first day. Day one, he made light. He made darkness. Maybe you're not impressed by that. That's actually a pretty significant accomplishment. Write this down. Day one, God created light and darkness. There was matter, then suddenly light exploded over this matter, shining down on the earth. A lot of questions here. People say, well, the sun and the moon and the stars weren't made until like day four. Like, where did this light come from? We don't know. We don't know if God exploded light uniformly throughout the universe. We don't know if the universe was expanding here. We don't know. But uh, based on a plain reading of the text, it would seem like this light came forth from God's command, which means it was from his presence. And uh, it is consistent 
to think of the Lord's presence when he shows up in creation as exuding light. Time and again throughout the Bible, when God shows up somewhere like the Temple of Solomon, you know, uh, light shines forth, physical light shines forth from where he's at. And I honestly think that's the best explanation for this light. I think the first light that ever shone in our galaxy was the divine light of the presence of God upon the earth that he loved. The Bible seems to uphold this. Check this out in Psalm 104. It says this, You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. And again, if God is who the Bible describes him to be, he's free to call forth light from his presence at will. You know, Einstein obviously studied physics and um, all his life there was this one thing that he said it was pesky, he couldn't get a handle on it, and at the end of his life he said he feels like he knows less about it now than he did uh, early on in his life. Do you know what it was? Light. The first thing God said had Einstein puzzled till the day of his death. Just can't figure it out. Not all bad for a day's work. It also says that God saw the light was good, which means already from the start, God is morally appraising his work, defining what is good so that later we'll know what isn't. Good can mean of moral value, but good could also mean of of artistic value, like it's good, it's beautiful, it's valuable, it's worthy. God, Father and Son, were delighting in creation. And uh, so much different than the many gods the Israelites would have learned about in Egypt who were at war with each other and saw humanity as just this accidental byproduct. No, no, God was delighting in creation. He was loving the light that he was bringing upon the earth. We're learning about him as well as the universe. So God made light, God made darkness. What this teaches us about the Lord Jesus Christ is also profound because there was a point when Jesus took his followers, Peter, James, and John, up on a mountain in the New Testament, and out of nowhere, he just burst into light. His face shone brighter than the sun. And I think in that moment, they were supposed to figure out who he was. A divine light shining brighter than the sun. Light pouring from his being. That doesn't happen just to any old human. That's God. God created light and darkness. Day two, write this down. God created heaven and earth. What I mean there is like sky, heaven, and earth. He separated the atmosphere from the earth. So it says here in verse 6, And God said, Let there be an expanse in the sky, in the midst, in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above, and it was so. He called the expanse heaven, that's the sky, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. So the second day, he made the atmosphere. Uh, that's a pretty cool thing. This is before our understanding of the need for ozone or the water cycle or weather, weather cycles, but you know, he didn't have to make oxygen on day two. He could have just put all little bunny rabbits in spacesuits and said, I'm getting on it. It'll take me you know, a thousand years or so, so... Day two, he makes the atmosphere. It's necessary for life. But our atmosphere is pretty amazing. You know, it's made up of about 10 gases, nitrogen, oxygen, argon, carbon dioxide, helium, neon. I mean, all of these elements that were here. And um, when you think of how hard some of these elements that were on Earth from the beginning are to form, like hydrogen and how tough it is, you need a furnace hotter than the hottest star to make hydrogen. And God somehow did it. Pretty remarkable that he gave us an atmosphere day two. 
It's also cool to see that this atmosphere also protects the earth. So have you ever seen like a comet coming in uh, to the atmosphere and then just burns up? Um, when I was in, uh, on vacation in South Carolina, there was a meteor shower. So I went outside and there was this one that just flew across the sky and there was just this trail of flames. I was amazed. I was like, that's pretty sweet. So I Googled it. How does earth kill a comet? And it turns out, as soon as a comet comes into the atmosphere, all the air like gets agitated and it, and it condenses rapidly in front of this you know, space rock. And because it condenses so rapidly, it heats up to about 3,000 degrees Fahrenheit like that, right? It's not like you have to preheat. Instantly, it's 3,000 degrees so hot that it burns up the space rock and it obliterates it. That's what I would call Earth's missile defense system. Day two, missile defense system check. I'm pretty amazed by that. When you think of how gravity already had to be working, which they, we can't still explain that. They're looking. They're looking for gravitrons. Where are they? How do we explain gravity? We can't figure it out. We're just stuck to this Earth and we don't know how. Gravity activated. It's pretty amazing that that was put in place day one, day two. What about day three? Write this down. Day three, God created the land and the sea. The land, so he started separating. You'll notice days one, two, and three, he's separating light from darkness. He's separating sky from sea. He's separating land from water. The first three days, he formed the earth. The second three days, he filled it. Okay? So he formed the land and the sea in day three. It says here in verse, let's see here, eight, Nine, God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place. So there are your oceans, your lakes, your rivers, and let the dry land appear. So there are your plateaus, your mountains, your canyons, your valleys. And it was so, and God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. There's that word again, it's good. So he made the land, he made the sea, and then in verse 11 he said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seeds, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. It was so, the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, trees bearing fruit, which is their seed, each according to its own kind. God saw that it was good. There was evening, there was morning, the third day. Third day, God created the land and the sea, the vegetation, plants, seeds, trees, and fruit, and it was amazing. Um, again, just assuming that this was true in a day, God decided to directly and miraculously create all vegetation uh, is pretty profound. Even if your view is that he took his time creating all these things, it's still mind-blowing to think of all the things that he thought up from nothing. Even the landforms. Here's a picture when Lauren and I went to the Southwest uh, earlier this year. That's Sedona. And just, we're blown away that God could think up all of those things growing from the earth and shape the land around it. And it's more than math and science, it's art. It's beautiful, it's mind-blowing. Here's another picture. We went to the Grand Canyon, and uh, as we sat there having lunch, I looked around, and you know they think, based on what they find in there, that at one point that was filled with water. I don't know what's more amazing, to see it empty or to see it full. I just thought, well, how long would it take if I took a garden hose and turned it on? I mean... The fact that it's empty is just as mind-blowing as if it was full, but it just staggers the imagination to think of how creative the land is laid out. Here's another picture. 
Um, this is a flower. This is just one really cool flower. God had to think them all up and design them. And this just displays such creativity. There's light, there's color, there's shape, there's texture. And um, if he started with nothing, he had to think up every component of all that. And then he had to think of it in a way where there wasn't just one of those things where people were like, that's the coolest thing, and then it's gone. It had to keep making more. So he had to think up the process of all that. Here's another picture of that same flower. It just shows you, in my opinion, a design. You know, it's not enough, if you disagree with what I'm saying, it's not enough for you to say, I think there's an unexplainable cause that started the universe, brought it all into existence, and spread it all out randomly. You then also have to come up with a theory that accounts for such sophistication and beauty. And um, if the best theory on the market is random chance and fluke mutation, what you're saying is someone just randomly shaking a box of particles given enough time, led to that. And I just find that really hard to believe. Really hard to believe. Random, unguided, unintelligent motion after an explosion produced that. It's hard to sell me on that. That just screams there's a creative being who knows beauty that made that. What about other things? Check out this next picture. This is a tree in Madagascar. It's just creative. It's this huge, bottom-heavy tree with all these leaves up on top. And I think we even have one more picture. This is a tree, and that little black dot on the bottom is a person. See that? It's massive. Just keeps growing and growing and growing and growing. And was there just a random shaking of the box that eventually led to that? I just find that hard to believe. God created land and sea, vegetation, plants, trees, fruit, and, and he decided to make the tree and the fruit at the same time. He decided to make it at the same time. He wanted a mature creation, and if that's what he wants, that's what he can do. What does that mean? Does that mean if you chop down a tree in the Garden of Eden, it would have rings? I think so. You know, if you bring Adam into the doctor, you know, would his body appear to be a day old? No, I think that he made mature things. Because he wanted to create creators. He wanted to make living things that were capable of making life. That's day three. What about day four? Write this down. God filled the sky with the sun, moon, and the stars. So it's, it's beautiful. And I don't know. Again, this is just my opinion. But it, it appears that God is the only light up until this point. So all these plants are coming up. And, and the only light that's shining down upon this first life is divine light. I love that thought. Um, that's my opinion. But God then filled the sky with the sun, moon, and the stars. I love the thought that the divine light is now captured by these celestial beings that are so awesome. God has to put in here how he made these things because the Israelites who had just left Egypt, who were getting the book of Genesis for the first time, assumed that the stars were big gods up there and they were afraid of them. They assumed the sun was a god, the moon was a god. They assumed that the sea was the source of creation. So while... I think the Bible does teach us generally true physical things about the beginning. God also kind of wants these people to know what isn't a God. He wants them to know what they don't have to believe. So reading on here, he says in verse 14, God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. Let them be for signs, for seasons, for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. 
God made the two great lights, the greater to rule the day, that's the sun, the lesser to rule the night, it's the moon and the stars. I just love that at the end of the verse, just, and the stars. Those will look pretty up there, and the stars. No mention how, no in-depth detail. Why? Because he wanted to downplay them because the people were worshiping them. So he's, and the stars, I just made them. And to many of the Israelites, this may have been the first time where they were like, oh, those aren't gods? Those aren't divine beings up there? See, they were, they were scientifically primitive, which explains why this is so simple, but they were spiritually primitive. And God's trying to say, there's this many gods. And many of them are like, oh, we've been wrong. And the stars. Like uh, no generation before us, we get to appreciate what's up there in space. We've actually sent people into space and they've come back and told us about it. Here's a picture of one of the most famous people who's ever gone into space. It's Jean-Luc Picard, captain of the USS Enterprise. I'm a Trekkie. He's taught us so much about what's out there. And here's uh, another vehicle that we have used to explore the outer reaches of the galaxies. I'm joking because space has captured our imagination so that we even love to watch pretend stuff happen in space. Because it's space. It's cool. But we've also put the Hubble Space Telescope up in the, in the atmosphere. It's been up there for 25 years now. Do you know it cost us $1.5 billion to get that thing up there? It's got another 10 years before it breaks down. But we've seen some awesome pictures. There was this one time where Hubble, after 400 orbits, every time, every time it went around, it took another little picture of this one spot of space. Picture! Picture, picture, picture. And after 400 orbits, they pieced this picture together. And Hubble was taking a picture of a part of space that you could see through a straw. So that little bit of space, hundreds of pictures, little little by little, and they put a collage together. And here's what it came up with. It came up with, oh no, the next one. It came up with this picture with 10,000 universes. I mean, galaxies, 10,000 galaxies. Each galaxy had billions of stars in it. That's one tiny sliver of space that you could see through a straw, and there's 10,000 galaxies, and each of those galaxies has billions of stars. And I just have to wonder if way back at the beginning there was nothing material, there's just an empty box, I mean, can you really believe that billions of galaxies came out of an empty box? Because I find that hard to believe. I feel like some supreme, strong, creative being had to be the cause of billions of galaxies. And that's just looking through a stretch, just one piece of space, 10,000 galaxies here, 10,000 more here, 10,000 more here, 10,000 more here, 10,000 more here. Such a massive amount of ordered energy and matter, and it just came out of an empty box? I find that hard to believe. God filled the sky with sun, moon, and stars, and we stand in awe of what he did. What about day five? Day five, God filled the sky and the sea with creatures. You can write that down. He filled the sky and sea with creatures. So it says, there was evening, there was morning, the fourth day. 
Then it said in verse 20, And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. Let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So now there's sky, there's being filled with creatures. God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. There's this idea that he made one thing not like the other. This is different than this. This is different than this. And God saw that it was good and he blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply in the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. So God made the sky and the sea, filled it with creatures. Lauren and I went down with the kids to South Carolina this summer and nature was the funnest part. I mean, just seeing all these living creatures down in the ocean. My two of our kids had never been to the ocean. They were amazed. Here's Jared. He found this crab. And uh, he's just blown away. The crab doesn't look happy, does he? He found this crab. He's like, this is the coolest thing that's ever existed. He's been to the zoo. But he's shocked when he gets to see these living creatures that were acting. Here's another picture. My daughter Ellie found this tiny little crab, this little hermit crab. And it's just so gross. And there's big things, there's small things, there's ugly things, there's pretty things. And um, how did all that get there? Well, we believe the Bible teaches that God put them there. He filled the sea with all these creatures and thought them up and arranged them and gave them a certain personality. But Lauren and I were sitting on the beach just relaxing. And, you know, there's all these little holes on the beach and you wonder what lives in them, right? Well, we're just sitting there relaxing. The kids are out in the ocean. And I'm not kidding, there's this medium-sized crab who out of nowhere comes running out of the hole and then stops and looks at us. And then he gets a little nervous, so he runs back and puts one foot in the hole. And he's frozen like this, just looking at us. And we're like, make your move, pal. And then he comes back out. And then he goes back in. And then he comes back out. And then he goes back in. And then he goes all the way back in. We're like, who thought this thing up? Who thought this thing up? Is it random? Is it unguided? Is it chance? Is it, it's got personality, if you ask me. Um, you go to the dolphin show at the zoo, and it's like these things almost love what they're doing. They delight in the show. They're jumping through the air. They're, you know, eating, the, and you're like, how can you tame these things? It's like they have personality. God filled the sky and the sea with creatures. Never take it for granted that so many things in our world fly. The Wright brothers, working on their flying aircraft, right? Late 1800s, 1900s, they're trying to get the thing flying through the air. Thousands of failed flights. Thousands of them. Crash, crash, fall over, crash, fail, can't get it up. Fail, fail, fail. Finally, they fly. They fly for 12 seconds, less than half the length of a football field. And they're like, yeah, human aviation has begun. And all the birds are like, you flew this far. We're not impressed. And God is like, took you long enough. 12 seconds is all you got? The Wright brothers would stand out on the beach and mimic the birds. The people thought they were nuts. They'd be out there and be like, how are they doing that? Okay, that's a little solo. And then that's there. Two grown men going like this. Learning from a superior intelligence. 
so many things flying. Never take it for granted. And again, next week is for those of you who disagree with me, but I just want to challenge you. If you really think there isn't a God, all of this came into existence on its own. Nothing plus time plus chance equals everything. I just dare you to walk around all this week and everything you see say, nothing made that. Nothing brought that into existence. Nothing thought that up. Nothing was behind that. It gets old and unbelievable pretty quickly. It's hard to believe everything came from nothing. Day six, write this down. God filled the land with creatures and God made man. So now he filled the land. He formed the land. Day three, filled the land. So reading on, it says here in verse 24, And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, everything that creeps on the ground according to their kind. God saw that it was good. He made all these animals. I don't know what your favorite animal is, but he made them all. He made them all. Thought them up, designed them from nothing, made each according to its kind, which means it wasn't one kind leading to another, but generated each one, and, uh, and it was awesome. He said, this is awesome. His soul is delighting in his own creation. You know, we play the game Minecraft in my house. Everybody play Minecraft? One of my daughter's favorite things to do in Minecraft is to make animals. You can actually breed animals. So here's a picture. You can get the cows together, and you can make them fall in love, and then there's a baby cow. And whenever the baby cow comes out, Cassie says the same thing. Oh, baby! Here's the next one. This is a baby horse. Oh, Dad, look at this one's gray. He's so cute. And the graphics are terrible. (laughs) But it's a baby animal. And I think in part, God's heart was the same way. He was making these creatures, giraffes, elephants, cheetahs. And and his soul delighted in what he did. And then on day six, God did something that he hadn't done before. Something amazing. He... uh, According to the best estimates today, God produced 2.3 million species of life when he created 2.3 million different types of life. And of each kind, there's millions or billions of those things. And then he did something special. He made man. It says in verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image. First time he said that. After our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God made man in his image. The climax of creation. What do we believe? What's unique about our view? To sum it up, I would say this. Um, We believe that God displayed his great wisdom in creation. We believe God displayed his great power in creation. And that could have been all it is. Angels, check it out. I'm wise and powerful. But then he made man. He made a creature who could comprehend his greatness and who can relate to him. Therefore, God displayed his love in creation. He did it with and for his son, but he wanted a being who could relate to him and say, wow, that crab is fascinating. Wow, that sunset is beautiful. And then to look past what was made and to say, God, you're awesome. I want to know you and I want to serve you. He's a loving being. God is wise and he's powerful and he's loving. Those three things are not true in every other religion. 
Similar in Judaism, not as similar in Islam. Our view is unique. We have a wise, powerful, loving God who made everything for His glory and for our delight. What comes in the box with our worldview? And I'll give you these four things very quickly because this is also the setup for next week. Next week, I'm going to talk about the major objections to our view of creation. Here's my point. There are things that come in the box with our worldview that don't come in the box with other views. Meaning if you walk away from what I just told you and you say, no, I believe there's not a God, there's not a creator, the things that are in our box over there aren't in your box. You can't have them when you walk away from our view. Here they are. First, purpose, purpose of God. There is a point, there is a plan, you're a part of it, creation displays it in glory. Your life has meaning. Without a God, your life doesn't have meaning. You came from nothing, and therefore you came for nothing, because nothing can't have a reason. Second, the supremacy of God. What comes in the box is there is a being who reigns in power over all of the apparent chaos of this world. Do you realize that, forget how fast it is, but the earth travels like 60,000 miles an hour or something through space. You're on a roller coaster going tens of thousands of miles an hour right now, and you're not even wearing your seatbelt. You should be like, oh, we're going to fly off of this thing. The earth is so unstable, and you orbit around an incinerator on an invisible track. There is like nothing to give you hope that we're going to make it through this universe alive. God is the only stable thing in your world. The center of the earth is as hot as the surface of the sun. You mow your lawn too close to the ground and you better watch out. (laughs) You live in peril in this universe and nothing stands still. It's all expanding to the point of where it will finally extinguish. The supremacy of God is that he reigns over it all. Third, the value of each person. You were made by him. You were made for him. You were made to know him and love him. And that's true for everyone else in this world. You take God out of the equation, you have no reason or right to assign value to any other person. On what basis is anyone else valuable? They just are. And they came from nothing and they're going back to nothing and there's nothing valuable about them because they're just an accidental assembly of molecules in a pointless universe. You can't find grounds for value apart from God. And finally, accountability to God. This is where we get right and wrong because God kept saying it's good, it's good, it's good, meaning there will be something coming that's bad. You and I have a chance to please him or defy him. And if we live in line with his moral expectations, then we can know good as well. And if you walk away from the God of the Bible, no one will be held accountable for their choices, nor will you because there really isn't anything right or wrong. It just is. So next week, we're going to go into detail on how we defend this view. Um, And I appreciate you for hearing a whole lot of information here. But why don't we pray? And then we'll go into one more song. Let's pray. Father, how how incomprehensible is the beginning of this universe? And we can't explain even a part of it. But we trust, we trust by faith that what your word says is generally how you created in the beginning. And we give you so much glory. You're awesome. You display an intelligence so far above ours. But it's not just about wisdom. You're powerful and you hold our entire universe together, but it's not just about power. You want us to know you. So Lord, we praise you for your love. We praise you for your wisdom. We praise you for your strength. Help us to tell others about these precious truths. In Jesus' name.